Thanks for downloading this episode of Cork Talk with me, Tim Atkin. A weekly conversation with some of the most famous people in the world of wine. This podcast is brought to you in partnership with Nomacork by Vinventions. Driven by a commitment to innovation, the new plant-based Nomacork Green Line offers significant improvements in wine closure performance. Thanks to a rigorous oxygen ingress rate, you can decide which cork is best for your wine, whether it's for young and fresh wines or for those with ageing potential. Pedro Parra wanted to be a jazz saxophonist until he realised he'd never be the next John Coltrane. Instead, he became a terroir expert. As a consultant, he's had a huge influence on wine, not just in his native Chile, but around the world. Our fascinating chat covered everything from minerality to the energy he feels in the best vineyards, the potential of Sanso, the brother of Pinot Noir, Vinitata, to the democracy of geology. Hey, Pedro, how are you? Hey, Tim, very well, doing very well. Super happy. It's so nice to hear your voice. And, and you're, you're in Chile, obviously, because it's during vintage. Are you at the winery or are you at your house in Concepcion? No, I should be at the winery, but I am at home in Concepcion because Wi-Fi is way better. So ah, the recording, you know, is, is the best. Listen, we've seen terrible things this year, you know, that have happened in Itata with the fires. How did they affect you? Was it bad? No, it, you know, we saw terrible things, but Itata is, is separate on six big areas, you know. Mm. The one that got really the, the, the terrible fires were the warmer ones. Mm. So I am not there. So I would not affect but that big, big, big movement of fires. And there was one fire in Guadiliwe where it's coastal, humid, cooler. And I was very lucky I was not affected. You know, the wind was a major help for me, yeah. uh, moving the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the good direction, not my yeah. direction. Yeah, no, it's terrible. And let, let's begin with your name because, you know, you're obviously you're a terroir expert. You're a winemaker. You've got a PhD in, in, in viticulture and sort of soil mapping. Pedro Para. So para in Spanish, as people listening who speak Spanish will know, is a vine. So you're actually yeah. called Peter Vine, right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. You were destined to do what you do, weren't you? You know, Alan York, who passed away, sadly, used to call me Peter Vine from Russia. <laughs> you know, so that was my like my nickname for in US for, for many years. Where is Peter Vine from Russia? <laughs> So that was funny, you know. <laughs> yeah, and, and P- Peter means uh, Pedro. Pedro means, uh, in Italian, uh, Pietro. And Pietro means rock in Latin. So rock it, and vine are, is and your vine. name. It's super weird. And my nickname, home nickname for my friends, my wife, is Pit. And Pit means uh, calicata. A pit, like a soul pit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so, so we, very yeah. weird. Very, yeah. I don't even like to think, you know, it's yeah. too weird. But, you know, you were born in Concepcion, which is where you still live, which is one of the oldest wine regions in Chile. But, I mean, when you were growing up, you were kind of more interested in cinema and music than wine, weren't you? I mean, you didn't want to be a winemaker or a soil scientist. Never, never. My family is a family of lawyers. Hmm. My granddad, I was very close to my granddad. My granddad worked his whole life in the movie business. So, Hmm. like uh, the movie Cinema Paradiso, you know. I grew up in the cinemas, you know, and I wanted to... Other time, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm talking 1980s. Mm. In 1980s, uh, it was Pinochet in Chile. There's no way you can study cinema or no way you can, you can, you know, move to France or wherever to try to, to start a career on that. So mm. uh, that was my dream. Mm. 
And, or, I mean, or architect. Both. Architecture. Yeah. But, that, you know, but you grew up, you're a big jazz fan. We'll talk about that later. Yeah. You played in a jazz band. You learned the saxophone. And you went to Montpellier, didn't you, in France originally? Um, yes. You know, after your degree in forestry engineering and conception to study music, right? Uh, and um, was your dream to become a professional musician? It was. I mean, I, 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 I knew I had to move from Chile because mm. nothing's going to happen, especially in those years here. So I had the language, the French, so I got a grant to study Montpellier in the mm. soil department. So mm. that was the fake, you know, idea. It's, the money was to do that research. But my dream was to be a, a professional saxophonist. And in Montpellier, there was the Michel Petrucciani School of Jazz. So I went, uh, <laughs> I stayed like one month, I realized that that was horrible. As a professional, it's terrible. I, I love the story in, in your book, Terroir Footprints, which is very good, yeah. that you went, you went to the conservatory to, and, and there was a 12-year-old boy playing <laughs> yeah, the saxophone yeah. who was better than you, and you thought, oh, I'm never yeah, going to make that, it, right? And that, it's, too, it's very scary because you don't think it's scary, but you have a prof in front of you and say, play the scales. So you need to then switch half of, the, of a tone, play it again. Da-da-da-da. So that is, is, is the entry level. Mm. And the, the, the kid was like, uh, he was playing all the scales. And to me, I played number one, second was difficult, three was impossible. And then, <laughs> you, you, and I was 27, he was 12, you know, and I, uh, no, I quit. I, so, so at that point, did you think wine could be your future or not? I don't know, Tim. Wine to me is kind of a transition in my life. I think I I I I, I love wine. I am super passionate on wine, but I have other interests in my life. You know, mm. I I really like to write. Mm. I, I have an, a a book in my head, a second book mm. I want to develop, mm. and I really love other things. Be- mm. But cinema, for example, you know. Well, now, I'm talking more about when you were in Montpellier. Did you think at Montpellier because you went ah. to Paris? Because you, then, you, then, then you went to Paris, didn't you? Because you did your PhD, and, and your PhD was in was in terroir, in terroir wine, yeah, yeah. In terroir. But when I was in Montpellier, nothing. I mean, everything was about you know working on the computer, doing uh, maps, you know, like soil maps or mm-hmm. these kind of things. But mapping Montpellier was mapping. And, uh, and never about wine. And it was only the end of Montpellier. You know, when, when I was finishing my, all my, my work as a master, mm-hmm. I had to create and develop a, like a small thesis. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I was sent to Paris. And when I arrived to Paris, uh, with this kind of very weird French professor I had, he was the super geek soil expert of France. Mm-hmm. And he was almost about to retire. And he was working with uh, two different PhD on terroir. That's the first time I heard really the word terroir. I was invited to drink some wine from the mm-hmm. from the southern round because the the, the the PhD was about the southern round. And so uh, that was the first moment in my life I realized that one side can create a sound like jazz, you know, mm-hmm. the sound and the sound is the PCT and the terroir expression. I love the idea. It's, it's like moving just to, to to wine. It's the same yeah. thing. And how old were you then? 27, 28? 27, 27. Yeah. So you'd not heard the word terroir till you were 27. Uh, totally. And <laughs> and Chile never really drink wine uh, in, in any way. So the first time I really started to drink was at, in, in Paris, you know, with, with mm. those guys. You know. 
How long did it take before you started as, as a consultant? I mean, who was your first client? Oh, many years, because after that, I did the PhD in, in France. And so when doing the PhD in Paris, you, you start to get, you know, your own, you start to drink wine, you start mm. to know about about. And wine. you went to Burgundy, didn't you? You got interested in Burgundy. I, I was in Paris and my professor said, you need to pick, select Bordeaux or Burgundy, basically. Mm. Mm. And I said, I went to Bordeaux first, you know, mm. Chile, Bordeaux. Mm. And I didn't like it. It's so industrial. Everything is so, you know, visiting was like one hour visit, two wines, very boring. Mm. And then I went to Bordeaux and, and to Burgundy and Burgundy is the opposite. 21 wines, one visit. <laughs> uh, and people that are more like me, you know, more farmers, not, yeah. not so chic, etc. And And that's how I met Louis Michel, Le Jebeler. And basically, I learned how to taste in that cellar on 2003. Mm. And so, but Burgundy was 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 this, was that your first client? Was Louis Louis Michel Louis Gibelier from Von Romanet your first client? No, no, no. My first client was at the end of two thousand three, Marcelo Retamal from Chile de Martini. Mm. So Mar- we, uh, I met Marcelo in the Vinexpo two thousand three. Uh, so we we knew each other. We went to the same school. So so and he said to me, "What are you doing here?" And I said, "What are you doing here?" That's how I knew he was a. Uh, a young winemaker at the Martino, and he knew that I was doing a PhD terroir research, and mm. he immediately said to me, I want that at the Martino. And, and then we figured out how to work, mm. and we, on 2004, I was living in France, but I was already traveling to Chile to start working with, with Marcelo. So, so Chile was your, was your first client, yeah. and then what about France? I mean, was it hard to get the French to take you seriously, this sort of jazz-playing, you know, Chilean? <laughs> France was never, to me, in my head, was never an option. You know, as a Chilean, you think Chilean. Mm. And France is too far away. So never in my dreams Mm. to work in France was really an option, you know. And Mm. France came later on time, you know, Mm. through Alberto Antonini. Once uh, once you developed a a, a reputation, really, in Chile. Of course. It took me 10 years. It took me 10 years. Uh, My first work in France was 2012. Yeah. So already okay. 10, 10 years. Okay. Let's talk, we'll talk about Alberto later because he's an important part mm-hmm. of your story, I think. I just yeah. want to know a little bit about how you describe your job. And I'm interested in how much of your job today as a terroir consultant, effectively, is, is science and how much of it is intuition. Do you find that if you walk into a vineyard, you kind of know what it's going to give you just by looking at it, even before you've dug a, a soil pit, a, a, a soil pit, sorry, a calicata? No, I think, you know, I, I really like to say, like in a podcast like that, I, I hate science, you know, because uh, during my PhD, I learned to never trust numbers, mm. you know. Numbers create fear in, yeah. in people, you know. But, but of course, I have a scientific approach to everything because I have done that for so many years. But, you know, Tim, what is essential to me is to know the geology. The geology is, is the main, the main factor, the the, the connector of everything. Mm-hmm. So, if if I know the geology, I will know how to equalize my brain, mm-hmm. and I will know about the wine typicity. I drink a lot of wine, so I I I I, I kind of know, you know, already. So if I am on limestone, I know where where to go. If I am mm-hmm. on granite, I will go in another direction. Mm-hmm. If I am on gravels, it's another direction. So it took me 13, 14 years to really have, like, in my head a specific 
equalizing for rocks and yeah. wine typicity. You know, yeah. the most important to me, number one, mm. who is my client? How yeah. how he drinks? You know, it's yeah. very. You know, I normally I, I, I used to explain them. You know that I I I went to a big funny discussion in Merceau about Dominique Lafont and uh, Jean-Marc Rouleau. Mm. 99% of the world thinks the same. Mm. For them, it's huge difference. Yeah, it's the opposite. Big. Massive yeah. difference. Yeah. So the difference are small, very mm. small. And, mm. and I need to understand that in the beginning because that difference is going to come many times from the vineyard. Mm. A small difference in the vineyard can create a massive wine typicity difference. That's interesting. So I need to un- I need to understand the, the owner. Yeah. Normally we go for a dinner and he will select the wines. I will ask uh, to take a look on the on his cellar, and so I know what he what he drinks. You know. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, you've consulted all over the world. You know, France, Italy, Spain, United States. Is there anywhere that you haven't consulted that you'd like to go to and work? I mean, you're you're traveling less now because you've got your own wine project. Anywhere yeah. else you'd like to go? I think, uh, yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, I would love to work more in Barolo. Mm. Uh, I love Barolo very mm. much, you know. And I have worked only once, and I think there is everything to do in Barolo. Uh, also, Ontario, you know, in Canada, yeah. I think there is something there, an energy that mm. uh, I think is, is interesting to me. Uh, Beside that, Greece? I think, Greece as well, yeah, for whites, yeah. and there is, a, 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 again, an energy there, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I, I love energy, so I, yeah. I, I love to, to find these kind of, of places. I, I agree with you. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, do you think great wine can be made anywhere these days? I mean, you know, the classics are still Burgundy and Bordeaux and Barolo, but do you, do you think that we're changing our approach to wine? We're thinking, hey, great wine can come from Itata, for example. I think geology is democratic. Yeah. It's all all around the world. So that's the, the first thing. So it, it's not because you were doing wine for 200 years that your granite is better than my granite. We can have the same. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the, the difference is the interpretation of the granite, you know, how, mm. to, how you play the music. Mm. And of course, there is more time people understanding, you know, how to vinify and how to cultivate, you know, the vines in Europe than in Chile, for example. Yeah. But in terms of potentiality, you know, human scale is small. We're mm. talking 100 years. So if we think mm. wine in the next 200 years, mm. which is still small, things are going to change for sure. For yeah. There are yeah. so many fantastic terroirs uh, beside Europe. Mm. You know, it's about time. It's about time. Yeah. People, you, you know, there is in, on wine something that is very a big and it's a problem is insecurity insecurity uh, insecurity you know yeah I, I am a small producer in the itata valley in chile so i talk small never loud i am very insecure yeah. because blah 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 and and then blind you can have something you know yeah. so people need it's not only chile it's portugal mm-hmm. the south of france mm-hmm. some places in spain yeah lots spain, of places in spain yeah. Spain is incredible. It's atomic. It's yeah. mental. Yeah. Ter- terroir, terroir is incredible. It's mental. I mean, because you always say that Spain is the place where you've learned most, that you, you learn most. You're still learning Spain, most. Spain, the new generation of winemakers are incredible. I mean, they are free mind, you know? Mm. 
They don't have, if you go to Italy, it's like that. Mm. If you go to France, it's doubled like that. Which you what cannot, you mean is, is, is that they're almost in handcuffs. Yeah. They, they cannot change anything, yeah. you know, the father, the grandfather. Yeah. It's a big problem for them because the global warming is forcing them to change. And they, they, don't, they don't have the ability, they don't okay. have the security mm-hmm. to move and change. Spain is the opposite. Yes. They are, they are changing. You know, yeah. working in Priorat, for example, uh, it's inc- they have, m- uh, the minds are, are, are fantastic, you know. Mm-hmm. Did, t- I mean, you've studied and worked in some of the greatest vineyards in the world. You've talked about Jean-Marc Rouleau and, and Dominique Lafogne and Barolo, and you've been to all sorts of places. Mm-hmm. Do great vineyards have something in common? Is, is it that energy that you're talking about? Do you think, do you yeah. feel an energy in a yeah. great vineyard? Yeah. They, if, if you make it simple, great vineyards are the same all around the world. Mm. It's a balance of energy. Mm. It's like uh, a great restaurant all around the world. It's the same. But you can be in an Italian great restaurant or a French great restaurant or a Spanish mm. great restaurant. So mm. the ingredients are going to change, but the system is the same. And mm. that is the most important uh, part of my work. You know, it took me many, many years to understand the system. Mm. And that system that can be equalized, you know, of course, mm. uh, is all around the same. So everywhere I, I look, high-end wines come from the same system. Mm. Then it's more pepper, more salt, mm. less salt, blah, 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 mm. blah, you know. Mm. Uh, but it's the same. I, 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 and I like the comparison with the restaurant. I said that a great restaurant has things in common. I want to ask you about the word minerality. I mean, lots of people use it in wine circles. It's become a bit lazy almost. Um, and how do you define it? Is it a word that you use to describe wines? Or you talk more about something being atomic, don't you? And, and, and your energy. Do you like minerality as a word? I like it, but it's dangerous, you know, because mm-hmm. if you say this is mineral, you can start a fight, and I know that the fight is a is a stupid fight. People would say, "Prove it." Mm-hmm. I don't find the minerals in the wine, and mm-hmm. and it's very egocentric because people say, "Because I don't find the minerals in the wine, mm-hmm. it's not mineral." And I yeah. will say, "Maybe you don't find the minerals in the wine because you are stupid," you know. Mm-hmm. So maybe in twenty years we're going to find the minerals. We don't have the machines already. It's mm-hmm. very egocentric. I don't find. It doesn't mm. exist. Mm. Maybe it's not yet the time to find it, you know, mm. uh, because technology, whatever. Anyway, to me, minerality is an energy, is a tension, is a is a vibrato that you have in your, especially in your mouth. Mm. You can smell it, but I think the truth, the real truth, is in the in the mouth. You know? Is the, is the palate? Oh, no, I know. I agree palate, with you. Is the palate? Yeah. Listen, we'll get to your wines in a minute, but they're very terroir focus, as are the wines you've made, the, the people you've consulted for over the years make. And you talk a lot about the soils in which they're grown. I mean, how much does, does a soil type, a terroir, have on the aromas and the flavours of a wine? It, it's not just the structure, is it? Can no. you talk about smelling of, of, of limestone, smelling of granite, tasting of granite? I think you can, can't you? I, I think you can. Of course, there, there are, again, thinking like a restaurant, there are components mm. Mm-hmm. that are more easy to smell, you know, and other components are very shy. Mm-hmm. So if you have shy components, for mm-hmm. example, and then you have one big component, the big component is going to be always dominant. And that big component is the clay. When you mm-hmm. have clay in your system, the wine is going to be very aromatic, you know. And because it's very automat- aromatic, it's like Chanel number no. five. What, clay? Yeah, clay sometimes is too much. 
And when it's too much, you don't get the other flavors, other aromas that you can have, you know? Mm. So people say, Pedro, you hate clay. And I say, no, I love clay, but only if I have the best clay in the world, like mm. Chambord Musini. If I don't have that clay, I prefer not to have the clay, you know? <laughs> and I like your idea about shy components. So granite and 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 uh, a limestone would be shyer components, would they? It depends depend where on the limestone, you know, yeah. because... I also normally when I work, I, I try to separate terroir using uh, simple words like biodynamic words. You know, some terroirs are fire, some terroirs are ocean. An ocean terroir is something that creates wines with uh, a natural acidity, a natural, a natural sensation of balance. You know, never burning, never. And number one is limestone. So limestone is an ocean. And mm. limestone comes from the ocean. Mm. Granite is also kind of an ocean, you know, mm. it's never heavy, burned, you know. Gravels are burning, fire. Mm. Basalt, uh, fire, schist, uh, fire, you know. So that that's, is going to decide many times the approach on your way making. Because Where do you it, put clay? But clay is the sun of the schist. Clay yeah. is the sand of the basalt. The so, sand, you say? The, the sun, the sun. The sun, Ijo, the sun, yeah. Ijo. Oh, the sun, sun the of schist, yeah. 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 Uh, so clay is fire yeah. as well. So Interesting. when you have yeah. too much clay, mm. you need to approach your way making to equalize in, down. In a different way, yeah. yeah. It's like listening to Pearl Jam and yeah. you put everything up like hell. Boom! It's too much, you know? <laughs> so... And if you have limestone, you know that limestone is ocean. Yeah. So you need to push high a little, you know. That's why yeah. that's why Burgundy is super dominated by limestone. Mm. They vinify with very high temperatures. Yeah. You know, if you do the same with schist on priorite, high temperatures, you kill the schist. You create yeah. a monster. Mm. That's why it's so important. Very interesting. T- tell us a little bit about Alberto, because you, you, you're involved with him at Altos Asomigas in, in Argentina, but you've yeah. worked with him in, in lots of projects. And Alberto is one of the great wine consultants of the world, an amazing man and somebody I've learned a lot from over the years as well. What, what, what have you learned from Alberto from working with him? Dolisticity. Mm. If, I, if I can say in one word, what I learned... Uh, Alberto is my mentor, so yeah. it's the holistic, holistic approach. So the, the, big, the big picture, in a way. The yeah? big picture, you know. Yeah. It's the big picture that viticulture, soil, way in making, typicity, mm. quality, purity, mm. you know, many mm. things in one man. Mm. And also, Alberto is very dynamic, mm. very open mind, so he switched super fast. He understands systems. So if we are in Australia, it's one Alberto. Mm-hmm. But if, when we're in Spain, it's another Alberto. Mm-hmm. And in Argentina, it's another Alberto. So he will switch immediately. Mm-hmm. So he understands very well that there is no one wine. It's different mm-hmm. expression of the wine. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, he doesn't uh, have a recipe, does he? No, never, never. He's always, that's super fun because he's always changing, you know. That's mm-hmm. why I use the word dynamic. Mm-hmm. It's not the classical guy who arrived and said, we are going to do the same mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. First, the most important, he understand that he will decide how to vinify mm. after Pedrito is in the in the hole <laughs> telling him what is the terroir. This is you. This is the hole in the ground, the calicata. Yeah. Yeah? So you the go and look, and look. Yeah. You go and look in the ground, and you say to him, "We've got we've yeah. got ocean or we've got fire." Yeah, yeah? that's that the thing. So normal, normally Alberto gets a project, 
she yeah. will send me. Yeah. I will do my thing. I will go back. We yeah. want to have a coffee or wine. And yeah. then after that, Albert is going to pick what I saw and then he's going to move fast. You know? Okay, got you. I mean, tell us a bit more about the Itata Valley, where you are right now. It's one of the oldest regions in, in, in the New World, isn't it? Tell us a little bit about the terroir and the different sub-regions. Can you tell us about those? Of course. Itata is the only place in Chile where I could produce wine for me because mm. of the typicity that I like to drink, you know. So Itata is south of Chile, cloudy weather, mm. kind of La Loire or something like that. Yeah. And with fantastic, very old decomposed granite in the soil. Mm. So we got a fantastic rock, a fantastic weather, also fantastic history because mm. always dry farm, great viticulturist, you know, uh, bush vines, always the, the balance, the fine tune that you get on years and years. And we have three grapes that nobody knows, basically. Senso, Pais, and Moscatel again. But to me, it's never about the grapes. It's about the site first, you know. And, and what I figured out for me, you know, uh, is that uh, I love Senso. Senso. It's my it's my Pinot Noir. Tell me, tell me a bit more about about uh, about Senso now. What what makes it such a great grape variety? And when did it arrive in Itata? Nobody knows. The, uh, uh, it arrived around ninety years ago. Yeah. Nobody knows who was the first or how. We know that Itata. Everybody is marriage with everybody, like Burgundy. Mm-hmm. You know? So you got one guy planted that, and the next the brother will plant it, and then in one year. The, the the wife is planting and then but Itata is not Senso, it's only Wariliwe. It's mm. one area of Itata. So it Wariliwe is the more pure terroir that you find in Chilean's appellation because it's mostly Senso. Mm. It's what we do. Mm. And so 90 years ago, for example, my vineyard, where I produce two of the crew wines, uh, Hub and Train, is about 86, 87 years old. One mm. one of the pioneers on that. And and uh, and that grape, you know, is a very productive grape. Mm. The only way that you can equalize down the grape, mm. the, the, that grape is fire. Mm. So you need to equalize down. To mm. equalize down, you need ocean terroir, mm. sand, basically, mm. no clay, and clouds, no sun. When you have this combination, very poor granite, sandy terroir, with cloudy, rainy terroir, so shows uh, finesse and and red fruit, vibrant complexity with some iron reduction like uh, burgundy, mm-hmm. and you get some flowers, some humidity again in the flavors, and in the mouth is what people call light, uh, red acid. If your terroir is good, it's long, you know, and vibrant. So that's that's the description of a, of a pinot noir. I mean, when you set up your project, I think it was in 2013, you've been traveling around the world for 18 years. Were people already beginning to talk about Itata and say, hey, this could be a great wine region? No, um, even me, myself, you know, <laughs> that, that's the sad part of the history. I never truly believe on Itata. My professor in, in, in Chiyan, in the university, told me, Itata is the real thing, you know? And I mm. said, thank you, you are crazy. Mm. And I went to my blah, blah, blah. Uh, I think uh, Louis Antoine Luit was clever enough. Crazy Frenchman. Yeah. Crazy Natural French. winemaker. Yeah, yeah. But, but at the end, it's not Louis Antoine. It was Marcel Lapierre. Mm. So uh, uh, 
Luantol was a friend of his, the son of so Marcel Lapierre from, from Beaujolais. Yeah. yeah, it was Marcel yeah. Lapierre who said, this is great. Then was Joe Dresner in New York. Mm. Then the more clever, fast way maker, Marcelo Retamal said, mm. this something is happening there. And when, when I saw that Marcelo was there, uh, Dresner was there, I said, oh, oh, there is something there. And I went, mm. you know, the intelligent people. So when I went and I, I took my time to evaluate the data, I figured out, wow, this is the place. It's too, it's too stupid, 35 minutes from home. I traveled the whole planet to go back home, you know. 35 minutes away from where you live anyway. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Just tell me, I mean, I've been writing about Chile for a long time and, you know, it's changed a lot for the better. What have been the big changes you've seen, you know, the last 20 years while you've been involved in it? You know, since you made those first wines with, with Reta, with Reta Mel, yeah. what's changed in Chile? Important things. First, mm. people start to drink good wines. So now you have two importers in Chile that bring two incredible international portfolios. Mm -hmm. So if you want to drink Biondi Santi, you can have a bottle of Biondi Santi. If you want to drink Dominique Lafon, you have a bottle. Mm -hmm. Pierre Peters, you have a bottle. So that means that the new Chilean generation of winemakers drink good wines. That is, to me, number one. Second thing, they travel. And yeah. to travel... To me, it doesn't mean every two years I go to Vinexpo, you know. <laughs> to travel means every year I go to visit somebody, some places, you know, mm -hmm. to understand. Mm -hmm. Number three, the, the terror movement uh, came in a good time. So there is another vision uh, on the vineyard, on the sites, you know. Uh, so those three are super important to me. Mm -hmm. And we're going to see those things develop more in the future, do you think? It's going to continue? We, yeah, we should. We, we still have one problem. Uh, that problem is very, it's a classical problem that's going to, it's changing already, mm. but should, should change faster. Uh, we are doing the same thing. Chardonnay, mm. Sauvignon Blanc, uh, Cabernet, Carmenet. It's, it's too narrow mm. to express, you know, Chile. Chile is, is complexity. We cannot express that with four grapes. We need to have 25 grapes, you know. And, what, and, what, what, what should Chile be growing? What would you like to see grown? Uh, there are many things, you know, whites. Why, why I need to go to Rivera Sacra or to Galis mm. to get super good whites on granite where we can do better? Mm. We have better granite and better weather. So there is a family of something to explore around Galis and Portugal. For so sure. Albarino, maybe, Albarino, and, and Godeo. Godeo, for example. Chenin yeah. mm. uh, Blanc, I mean... Mm. Again, think uh, champagne. Thinking mm. champ champagne is grand. The best things that you get, or, or riesling in in, in Alsace. Mm. Alsace, you got granite with fantastic, you know, riesling. Mm. Mm. Oh, uh, what is the riesling here? You know. Mm. So I, yeah. I know we can do. I, I know because I did it last two years ago. I, I, I we can do a great chardonnay. Yeah, we can do very way better Sauvignon Blanc. But there are mm. other things. On red is the same thing. So there is a new expression of Carignan, great. Mm. Garnache is coming, fantastic. There are other grapes, you know, that can show you uh, something, you know. And I'm, I'm very happy about what is happening with Garnacha, Pais, and Senso. And Senso, yeah. Yeah, it's happening. It's not yet happening with Moscatel. Some yeah. people are trying to, to, to find, it's a difficult grape, and... Uh, and, 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 but it, it will happen as well, you know. 
T- t- tell us a bit about your wine style, because I, I like the way you define it. You say, I produce wines I want to drink, right? I mean, what what, what does that mean? I mean, it, it means they need to be light, they need to have energy, obviously. What else would you describe as your style? You, you know, it's, 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 I normally explain it to, especially to my wife and my, do- my daughter and son, um, my, I, I went virgin into wine. So mm-hmm. France, I was virgin. Mm-hmm. And my first really professional tasting was with Louis Michel in Mont Romanet. And that, so I was pure, you know, nothing. And, and that is, I used to call it my ratatouille, like the movie, you know, when you go back in time to when you're a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember, I remember that first day that was May, you know, uh, 2003. And Louis Michel was telling me, you know, uh, red fruit, acid fruit, uh, underbush, uh, vibrance, energy, you know, drinkability. The drinkability comes from Louis Michel. And basically means not heavy black fruit alcoholic that you're going to drink 30% of the bottle. That is drinkability. Mm. So that, that ratatouille was so important in my head. And then... I think little by little, I start always to look for that expression. For many years, I worked in many places that had a different expression. And I was always trying to push to that drinkability of the wine. Because mm-hmm. wine is for drink, you know, not mm-hmm. for... People not forget for, that. Yeah, <laughs> well, sometimes we forget that, you know. Yeah. And, then, and then you get old, you get mature, your palate have a clear idea, and you start to uh, fine-tune everything, you know. And, and, and to me, you know, I, I have a very good life as a consultant. I cannot complain. So why do wine? The only reason, there are two reasons. One, for my family, my kids in the future. Mm-hmm. Second, because I want to drink from Chile something that I like to drink, you know. Mm-hmm. And so where is my burgundy? Is, is a corner of burgundy to me in Chile? And I, I was lucky I found that corner in Guadalupe. In some, in some soils, not all the soils from Guadalupe. Some of the soils in Guadalupe uh, show that finesse, you know. That fin- that you want. D- yeah. d- I mean, we know that you're a, you know, a jazz fan, massive jazz fan. There's always music on in the winery. Always, you're a yeah. jazz musician. Um, l- your wines, a lot of your wines are actually named after jazz musicians. How do you decide which which name to use for which wine? Um, d- d- you know, d- what does the wine come first or does the musician come first? No, the wine. Yeah. So at one moment, I will say, I started in 2013. Mm. I got an idea on 2017. So it took me five years to recognize one vineyard, one sound. To me, mm. it's a sound, you know. You're listening and, to the vineyard, right? In a yes, way? listening to the vineyard and to the typicity in my mouth, you know. So, for example, mm. silty with a lot of iron, the wine is more rich, it's more heavy, it's more fruity. Uh, it has a complexity. And, and I was always thinking something more slow and more heavy. And who, who plays like that? And I was, that's Monk, that's Telonius, you know. Big fella, you know. Yeah. So uh, I think Monk was the first name who came to my mind, you know. Yeah. Uh, second, I had the opposite. Sandy, big quartz, the wine was sharp, you know, uh, vertical always lacking a touch of complexity. Mm. So who is a musician who is vertical? Tension, you know, tension, tension, with a lack of complexity. Freddie Hubbard, Hub. So that, that's how it's started. Trumpet player. Yeah, <laughs> trumpet player. And so uh, I would say Monk and Hub were the 
one and two. And then because I was, I am a big fan of Coltrane, mm -hmm. the third one on 2017 was trained, you know, but yeah. I, I, that was a mistake I made because that one was good, the best one at the moment, but train is a name to need to be a grand crew. Mm. And the, the wine was not a grand crew. So I made a mistake and it took me years to, to change that mistake and elevate train to a grand crew, you know. So how many grand crew do you have? Is it Miles and Train, isn't it? I, I have Miles and Nuke. So Nuke is Sonny uh, Rollins, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, he uh, died sir? recently, didn't he? Very sadly. No, he's, he's still alive. Like oh, is he? Oh, still it was alive. Wayne Shorter yeah. who died. Wayne, Sorry, I'm going to... Yeah, yeah. Wayne Shorter. Yeah. So I got two grand crew, Miles and Nuke. And waiting for train, and it only happened when I bought the vineyard. So I, I owned the vineyard. I really changed uh, things on viticulture. Basically, I put money. <laughs> you know, I, I, it's not that I want to change the way they work. I bring money to do it better. It's yeah. the only change. Yeah. And that the, the the first change was in twenty twenty one. That the wine was to me the best wine in the cellar immediately. So train is now a Grand Cru. Now, train after 2022 is going to be a Grand Cru. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. Should, there'll be, be, three, should be. There'll, there'll be three Grand Cru. Yeah, there will be three Grand Cru. Yeah, yeah. that's fantastic to hear. Listen, last question. I could talk to you all day about this. It's fascinating listening to you. Do, do, how do you get away from wine? Do you still play the saxophone? I know your kids are very important to you. I mean, how else do you relax? So the family is important to me. Uh, I relax through movie. I love cinema, I remember. So that was from your granddad, Marcos, wasn't it's it? From Marcos, Emil yeah. Ford. Yeah. Uh, so cinema is super important. So I have everything, Netflix, uh, you know, HBO, everything in the world. I can watch a movie. I don't, if I don't find a movie, I, I can buy it when I travel. Hmm. Uh, also, uh, I get out, you know, I like to read, you know, hmm. uh, a lot. Writing, I like to write hmm. and, and spend time when, with friends and the family. So a very simple guy, yeah. Hmm. Uh, and my life is different. It's like your life, Tim. We are like two people. When we're traveling, it's one person. At home, it's one other person. Uh, I do travel not not as much as you do, but traveling is a is an energy that comes into my life. You know, mm. I go back full of energy, full of ideas. Mm. You know, I was telling you Spain. Mm. Wow, I got so many ideas from Spain now that I want to develop. I want to I want to make a champagne. I'm, I am fifty three. Yeah. I want to celebrate my 60s with a champagne. Your own champagne? My own champagne, you know. But okay. to do that, I want to learn. from. So I need to go to champagne, drink, meet people, and get, you know, information in my head to be able to make it, you know. It's not bad. You, you, I collaborate with Paul Crook, so I, I got mm. a lot of information from Paul, and and I'm learning fast. But I, I, I need to go for one week in champagne and go mm. into you know, the, the terroir, the subsoil. <laughs> that means digging another calicata, another another pit. And in brain, in, in the brain of people, yeah. you know. Yeah. I want to understand them. Yeah. Well, understanding them is what you do. Understanding the world of wine is what you do. Love your wines. I think what you, the, the changes you've made around the world have just been incredible. And your book is well worth reading, Terroir Footprints. People can buy it. Uh, there are still copies. It's in Spanish, but also in English, Terroir yes. Footprints. And you're going to be working on a second book soon. In yes? French. In French. In French as well. In French yeah, as well now. Ateneum in Bonn. 
Bon, s'il y a des Français qui écoutent ce podcast, vous ah, pouvez l'acheter. Voilà. At oui, Athenaeum Abonne. Athenaeum oui. Abonne, 2000 copies en français, super bon. Très bien. OK, oui. well, listen, lovely to see you, my friend, uh, and we'll talk very soon. I hope to see you in Chile or in Rioja or Burgundy or somewhere in London. Uh, pleasure talking to you. See ya. See you soon. Ciao. Pedro really does know his stuff, and I love the wines he's making under his own label. Next week on Cork Talk, my guest is the American barrel broker, Mel Knox. Join me then. Thanks for listening to Cork Talk. If you want to read more reports, articles and tasting notes by me, go to my website, timatkin.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, at Tim Atkin, and on Instagram, at TimAtkinMW. See you next week.